Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. To my successor, whoever he or she may be. Number one, stay close to the Americans, stick up for the Ukrainians, stick up for freedom and democracy everywhere. Politics in general has taken total lead of its senses. Changing one man at the top of the Tory party won't make any difference. It won't fix the problems. Let's have a fresh start for Britain. Let's have a real change of government. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics, your daily guide to the corridors of power. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Coming up on today's programme, is this Keir Starmer's time to shine? We'll talk to the former Downing Street Director of Communications, Alistair Campbell, about this summer's politics and the future British Prime Minister. And it's out with the old, in with more blue. Less than three years after that landslide election victory, we'll look at the state of the country as Boris Johnson packs up at number 10. But first, it's the final day of voting in the Conservative leadership race. In that time that we've had double-digit inflation for the first time in 40 years over the summer, the hottest day on record in terms of the weather and news of another staggering jump in energy bills. All of this, as Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak have been campaigning uh, for the keys to number 10. According to Betfair, the odds of Sunak winning... Do you know this, Ewan? I bet you do. 20 to 1 now. How how did it all go so badly wrong? I mean, the former Chancellor, who, uh, you know, the phrase we know, backed up the dump truck of money for people in the the grim pandemic, uh, seems to be so far behind trust. Yeah, and if you just remember back to the to the MP voting stage, of course, he was the hot favourite at every stage of the voting with the MPs. He was ahead. And even at the end, he was ahead of Liz Truss. And it's really gone downhill since then. I think I think there are three key things. I think there's presentational issues, that the whole PR thing about being uh, out of touch and, and married to a, a very, very wealthy on, wife. Being too slick? Is that the accusation, well, being yes. too, too well-dressed? Well, well, funny enough, I think being... Too slick is a big problem these days because people mm. like their politicians to, to be real. That was part of Boris Johnson's appeal, wasn't it? And you remember Charles Kennedy, Ken Clark, all those politicians with that sort of that real thing going on. And I think Sunak, you know, is, is a bit too polished. Yeah. Um, and I think another thing which has also got him is being seen as the man who wielded the knife. So Boris Johnson certainly not universally popular with lots of voters or MPs, but with many Tory members, you know, he is still he's still God, isn't he? And I think that has lost Sunak some support. And then I think finally on policy, I think Truss has good, done a good job of appointing herself, painting herself as as a true blue conservative, and is painting him as 
well, quite frankly, you know, a bit, a bit of a wet, uh, and particularly on the issue of tax, you know, so important to, to Conservative members. Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting, isn't it? Oh, well, it was quite an eventful summer. I mean, it felt like weeks, didn't it? Um, and uh, the Kate McCann fainting incident, the fact that those 12 hustings, that a lot of them were broadcast, which they haven't been done in the past, I thought that was quite quite fascinating, that we got to see, you know, in all of these towns and cities, what the this very select bunch of Conservative Party members, uh, you know, what the sorts of questions that they asked the leader, you know, and how narrow they were in some ways. Yeah, that was very interesting in itself as well, wasn't it? It gives you an insight into the uh, the, the the workings of the, the Tory membership. It's so interesting for for politics watchers anyway. And I, I mean, I, I've been frankly surprised at just how quickly Sunak's campaign has gone downhill because it, it looked so promising, didn't it, at the outset? And uh, well, we'll see on Monday, but it doesn't look like it's ended up very well. Well, perhaps speed is of the essence in these things now in the social media world. Well, speaking of speed, Boris Johnson is about to leave Number Ten Downing Street, but uh, he, of course, leaves behind huge economic and political headaches for the person that does end up uh, new leader. Stephen Carroll and I were speaking to Bloomberg's senior economist. Uh, uh, senior economics reporter Philip Aldrich about this and also our UK government reporter Emily Ashton who were watching all of this, these campaigns over the summer so closely. Now Emily talked about how although Truss is thought to be the shoe-in for Premier there's a lot less certainty actually about what she will do if she is in the role next week. I don't think anyone really knows for sure what we're going to get. She's a bit of both in terms of libertarian Thatcherite. You know, she believes in a small state, limited handouts, as she puts it on welfare, low taxes. She wants people to work hard and she hates people being told what to do. And for years, you know, she railed against the blob or the establishment. But that's got people worried in that, you know, she won't listen to expert advice when she needs to. And the problem really is that she has changed her stance so much over the years you know she was a liberal democrat when she was younger um, and she also campaigned for remain on brexit and now she's an ardent brexiteer so nobody quite knows what's in store with her government philip whoever wins this election faces absolutely enormous economic challenges how much more support do households need energy bills of course being the biggest concern so 37 billion has already been committed by the government uh, and the numbers being talked about for the quantum of support that's needed going forward for the next six months are of the order of about 50 billion quid. A year's support, two years' support will cost over 100 to 150 billion around that kind of level, which is, you know, if you think about it, is, is five, six, seven percent of GDP. It's comparable to what happened in the pandemic. People are talking about this as being, you know, it is the economy. The, the government needs to put on a war footing effectively because, you know, these are extreme circumstances with the energy price prices rising to such levels that 10% of aggregate household income is going to be swallowed up literally ju- just by the um, increase in energy bills, which has not been seen since the early 1970s. So it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's been a staggering three years, hasn't it? Global pandemic, fears of recession, bailout, etc. Johnson went on this farewell tour of, of the UK. And yesterday, one of the last big speeches, Sizewell C, made a commitment to nuclear power. Is, is this in any way serious? I'll say that because one of the lines that he talked about was there being no more national myopia, no more short termism. And yet we've had 12 years of Conservative government. Well, nuclear has such a long lead-in time, but it's, 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 it's 
you know, we're not talking about solving the, pro- the immediate problem ahead of us. I mean, Liz Truss ruled out rationing in some of her hustings uh, debate. There are extreme measures that may have to be taken here. I mean, the government, uh, Boris Johnson was talking about you know, how to, you know, when to boil your kettle or buy a new kettle so that you reduce your energy, energy consumption. The, 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 the kind of conversation suggests that you know, a real emergency. But um, uh, in terms of how to deal with the, the immediate uh, problem ahead, there are changes to wholesale to gas markets, to UK gas markets. We currently price things on the marginal price, so the, the gas price affects the entire price, the electricity price. Um, you can change, make changes to that, which would be quicker than building a nuclear power station. Um, and, uh, and also, obviously, that, that we need to just get as much gas into the country as a sort of transition fuel in the green, to the green transition in, in the meantime. Mm. But, you know, right now it's going to be about just getting as much LNG uh, supplies into the UK as possible over this, over this winter because, uh, and hope that the wind blows and what sun does come out uh, so that we can get as much renewables as possible. Emily, will this be a new leaf for the Conservative Party on Monday when there's a new leader? You know, more sleaze allegations coming out against the party now. Will this be a chance for them to clear house and, and start again with fresh faces? Yet, yet more kind of allegations um, against senior Conservative figures of sexual misconduct. And remember that the um, scandal around Chris Pincher, that former Deputy Chief Whip, um, and, and questions over whether Boris Johnson had um, had known about his his misconduct kind of led to Boris Johnson's downfall. And this just shows these things aren't going away. Even when Boris Johnson goes, you know, Liz Truss is going to have to deal with this stuff and she's already got a lot of other things on her plate. Is there any bull case, Philip, though? I mean, going back to the kind of economic issues, is there any bull case for the UK? Because I laid out in the introduction, and we've been talking for days about the difficulties facing Britain, and you've got weak sterling, UK manufacturing hurting, got Brexit trade barriers to deal with. Is there any way that we are perhaps looking too pessimistically at things currently? Well, the bull case is actually in the market position at the moment. I mean, if, if at the moment... So sterling has underperformed massively against other currencies since uh, Boris Johnson announced that he was going to resign. The bond market, government borrowing costs have shot up more than almost all other major bond markets in that time as well. So we start from a low level. And so Liz Truss, if she can just overshoot expectations, because at the moment, as Emily was saying, it's a mystery what her economic policy is really going to be. We don't know what she's going to do in terms of a rescue package. Uh, So if, if she can reassure the market and if she can sort of stabilise things, her threats of like, you know, possibly changing the Bank of England mandate so that it becomes more of a directive measure so that government is, has more intrusive powers. If she kind of retreats a little bit from all that, she'll just provide some reassurance, which then will restore some confidence in, in investors in, in, in the UK. So there, there's definitely, you know, upside potential. You could, you could say she's you know, over-promising on this kind of libertarianism, this, the free market stuff, which is, you know, the scary stuff, the, the populist stuff, and, and if she under-delivers under on that, the upside there is the bull market case, I presume. Emily, does Liz Truss going to have a battle to reunite the Conservative Party after a very long and at times acrimonious leadership contest? Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult. There, there have been, and particularly from Rishi Sunak's camp, there have been lots of things kind of thrown at her from his side but actually she has been more cautious personally i think her camp has been more cautious to not kind of throw barbs at his side and i think she's very keen to kind of bring 
the party together when she begins on Monday. Because the truth is they've really only got over two years to prove themselves as the party to vote for in the next election, which has to come before January 2025. She's got such little time to do that. And her message to the party will be, you've got to kind of join forces now because otherwise there is every chance that Keir Starmer will become prime minister. So that was Philip Aldrich, Bloomberg senior economics reporter and our UK government reporter, Emily Ashton. So it's the final day of voting in the long-running saga that is the Conservative leadership contest. On Monday, we'll get a new Prime Minister and a new Cabinet. But one man who never minces his words is former Downing Street Director of Communications, Alistair Campbell, host of the Rest is Politics podcast. He says it'll be a top team of failures, opportunists and third-raters. Alistair Campbell, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg UK Politics today. Now, uh, either Truss or Sunak are going to have to manage multiple uh, economic fires raging in the UK. Do you think that Truss is going to ditch her campaign rhetoric and govern from the centre, roll out a, a mini budget with lots of cash, or is she going to be the true blue Conservative that she's tried to p- portray herself? It's very hard to know because I, I do find that the, the campaign on both sides, both Rishi Sunak and Rishi Sunak analyst Truss, it's been incredibly dispiriting because we're facing multiple huge challenges, you know, energy costs, war in Ukraine, an economy that's not going anywhere, inflation, double-digit inflation, uh, huge problems in relation to the fallout from Brexit. And there's been literally next to nothing in this campaign to suggest that either of them, and particularly Truss, have any sense of the scale or the gravity of what's going to uh, be in front of them when they get through the door of number 10. So I honestly don't know the answer to that. I, I, I fear that she's going to be trapped because the promises that she's had to make to the people that who've elected her, the, the, some of the people that she it looks like she's going to put into the cabinet, they are right out there on the right extreme fringes. And I fear that she, mm. if she wants to survive longer than Johnson has, then she's going to have to do their bidding. Yeah, and you tweeted about this this morning. It's po- it's possibly the worst cabinet in history, paraphrasing here. The next Tory cabinet possibilities, including Ian Duncan Smith, Lord Frost, the Brexit architect um, or negotiator, and Sir John Redwood in Truss's cabinet. I mean, how real do you think those names are and how worried would you be about uh, about that kind of cabinet makeup, as you say? Well, I can't pretend to know anything more about what she's planning than what I read in newspapers and hear from some of the broadcasters. I don't have any access to her thinking, and I'm not sure that I would want it, the, the way that her campaign has been run. But I, I, I do think that this is, goes back to the point I just made, is that she's completely enthralled to the right of the Conservative Party. And what I was hoping would happen when Boris Johnson was finally uh, shown the door was that the Conservative Party would understand that the reason he was being shown the door was because the public had seen through the whole populist nonsense that has driven his politics. But actually, Liz Truss has been, if anything, certainly as bad as Johnson on the populism agenda, and if anything, even worse. Added to which, you know, you have situations where she's currently, she's going to be the Prime Minister almost certainly, she's currently the Foreign Secretary, the ease with which journalists at these hustings have led her into kind of easy story traps, you know, Macron, friend or foe, oh, well, the jury's out, 
clap, clap, clap by the Tory membership. Stupid. Like yet two days ago, she was asked whether she's thought about lowering, about getting rid of speed limits on motorways. Mm. Yes. Well, how does that fit with an environmental agenda? How does that fit with the child safety agenda, etc.? She doesn't think things through. And so what the civil service and what other advisors and who she appoints to the cabinet will want i presume to do is to try to get her into more sensible grown-up political position but she is going to appoint a cabinet that if anything is going to be worse than the one that johnson did because they're very limited don't forget you mentioned yeah but hang on a second then how does how do you stack this up then against labor leader keir starmer why has he gained so little traction with voters after three years of boris johnson and now this campaign as you say i mean it's a it's a crisis on the scale of the pandemic and yet it's all tory party politics where's starmer in all of this well i think one thing i remember from my long, long experience, both as a journalist and in politics of conservative party leadership contests, is that there, there does become within them a kind of obsession in the media. It is quite hard for the Labour to get into that debate at mm. this time. But I, listen, I've been clear with people on the Labour front bench. They should have already done a far better job and a far more aggressive job of branding the next prime minister. I mean, this 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 leadership election, to my mind, has thrown up tons and tons of material about the Conservatives and their 12 years in power, most of which Liz Truss has been a minister, that Labour should be hurling at these people on a constant, incessant basis alongside setting out their own positive agenda. Now, I do think on the energy crisis, Labour came up with a you know, pretty decent, coherent plan. But whether the public even really knows about that yet, I don't know. So listen, I agree with you. Labour have not been nearly robust, nearly aggressive and nearly... Um, high profile enough about about the it, mess, it, the absolute mess that this government is making of the country. It does, it does seem that the strategy is to sort of keep quiet and let and let, and let the Tories sort of dig themselves into a hole. Do you, do you think that's the right the right strategy, or do you think it sort of risks looking like Keir Starmer's just kind of sitting on the fence? You know, Johnson tried to paint him as you know Mister Indecisive, and that label you know got gained some traction, didn't it? Well, I, I wrote a book about winning and strategy a few years ago. One of my favorite interviews was, was with Gary Kasparov, the, the chess mm-hmm. grandmaster. And he said, waiting for your opponent to fail is not a strategy. Um, and I completely agree with that. Now, I think Labour does have a strategy. I think, I think Keir Starmer's general approach was to as it essentially try to decontaminate the party post-Corbyn, particularly to deal with anti-Semitism, then to show that the government was unfit to govern. Well, I think, you know, the government has been a big help in that. And then to set out the positive, coherent, forward agenda. That's the bit that has to be up in lights all the time now. Now, accepted, it's difficult during COVID. It's difficult when there's a war on. It's difficult when you've got a Tory leadership contest to choose a new prime minister. But it's not so difficult and it's not... It's certainly not a time. There is no time between now and the election that Labour should not be on the front foot literally every single day. Yeah, and hang on a second. On Bloomberg, of course, we always focus on the, on the numbers, Alistair. So for us, you know, yeah. the key news lines have been City talking about inflation rates hitting 18% and then Goldman Sachs just this week talking about inflation in Britain hitting 22%. This is the thing that the City of London is talking about, the Bank of England is thinking about. And so this has a huge effect on workers and Labour's attitude towards the strike action and workers demanding higher pay, that should have been crystal clear and yet the policy is totally muddled Mm. well i think the other thing that i i find extraordinary and i'm sure bloomberg 
does cover this in a way that most of our media is not. But we have we have had, not least in my view, thanks to Brexit, one of the biggest devaluations of the pound in our history. Sure. And yet that's barely being talked about either. So I think all of these things should be coming together. I think the Labour campaign at the moment should be around the fact that basically these David Cameron used to talk about broken Britain. This lot, which it never was, this lot literally are breaking Britain. And then you have to draw attention to that, make the link. Liz Trust should not be able to, you know, I've seen, let me give you one tiny example where I feel that both the media and the opposition have let us down during this campaign. Liz Truss was the Justice Secretary at the time when the Daily Mail ran their headline, Enemies of the People About the Judges. That was a big moment in the undermining of the rule of law in this country. Liz Truss was silent. I've not even seen her being asked about it. Mm. This is somebody who's been in power, part of the mess that we're now they're presiding over for over a decade. And Labour's just got to do a better but job. But come of on, then it, it on surely her. would have been a really easy win. Keir Starmer should have been holding a placard. If I were a union member and a Labour voter, I would want to see that leader championing, you know, uh, individual people and people's pay packets going into a winter that's going to be really difficult. Why was he mm. not there? I think you've got to. I think you've got to be careful about being a Labour leader who is seen as the guy who backs every pay claim. I think that's a very difficult position to put yourself into, particularly when, if he does become Prime Minister in a couple of years, he is going to be inheriting uh, an economic crisis as well. But at the same time, I agree with you. I think that, you know, I think that I was up in Edinburgh uh, over the last few days when my, my daughter was at the, appearing at the fringe and was up there and there was a bin strike on, okay? So, Edinburgh, one of the most beautiful cities in the world, all the American tourists back and so forth. And there was there was rubbish everywhere. And it was really interesting how even though it was unsightly and even though it was smelly and what have you, when you were talking to the people locally, they were saying, oh, well, the bin, the bin men have got a point. The bin men have got a point. Mm. And I do think that Labour needs to be less defensive about all sorts of positions, not just, you know, industrial relations, but also about the state of the economy, about Brexit, calling out that, about lying in politics. I mean, OK, eventually, over COVID, for example, they got into the debate on lying and corruption, but far too timid along the route. This is, look, look Johnson has presided over collapse in the moral and ethical and political standards of this country. And Liz Truss, who is going to win, has been the person who's been defending him most. That means they are not taking the opportunity for this to be a moment of real change. And Labour has to be hammering that every day. I just want to bring back to the uh, the Tory leadership contest. Have you have you been surprised by the intensity of the of the blue on blue fire over the summer? I can't help thinking that if, if you were in charge of Tory comms, you would have banged their heads together and, and told them to stop it. Um, have I been surprised? I have been surprised, um, but I think that's because you've got to remember, you, you mentioned the podcast, which I do with Rory Stewart. Rory Stewart is one of those quite a large cadre of MPs who I think would have brought a bit more rigour and discipline to the debate, but they've all gone. People like Ken Clark, gone. People like Anna Subri, gone. People like Dominic Grieve, gone. People like, you know, there's a whole list of MPs who might have been able to elevate the debate a little bit. Uh, I think the Tory party have done, them done themselves incredible damage. The quality of the debate has been terrible. The quality of the policy ideas mm. has been negligible. There's been no leadership on foreign policy. And what it shows is, I can remember Alan Clark, um, former Tory minister, 
uh, very close to Thatcher at points. And yes. I became quite friendly with him. And I can remember he, he once phoned me up and he said, you lot are in for a generation. I said, why? He said, because the truth is we hate each other way more than we hate you now. And I thought that was a very interesting observation. And you sort of do get that feeling. It'll be very hard for Liz Truss to bring these tribes together, I think, after this uh, election. OK, so then let's re-rack. I mean, up in Scotland, I don't know whether you were there for the Emily Maitlis-McTaggart lecture, but that line, an active Tory agent in the BBC, the BBC under so much pressure that it capitulates, journalists self-censoring. I mean, uh, Alistair, that all started sort of under Labour, government tearing the BBC apart. I mean, it does little for Britain's democracy for that, you know, the uh, the, the level of debate, as you say. Uh, we've just been reporting today on, on President Biden in the US and that big speech that he made about US democracy. I mean, that stuff mm. at a time of wars is really important. If we elevate the debate, come on, taking down the BBC is a disaster. I agree with that. And, and, and let me say... I, I, I totally reject the idea of equivalence between the way that we dealt with the BBC and the way this government does. We supported the BBC and I still support the BBC. We had one massive specific issue which related to one report by Andrew Gilligan, who ridiculously has been an advisor to Boris Johnson for the last few years, undermining TfL on London transport, might I say. We had that one issue where we were absolutely determined that they they correct a report that was completely false and you know i'm sure your listeners have, have heard more than enough yes. about that yeah. this is a situation where as a as an act of strategy the tory government is trying deliberately to undermine the bbc and to politicize the bbc and i think emily maitlis was absolutely right to call it out in the way that she did uh, needless to say the response from the government was oh just a bitter old remainer and all the usual insults that they do the government does have an agenda for the bbc and i think it would be a complete disaster if they're successful in ushering into our sort of country the kind of media landscape that we have in in America, given that it's bad enough with the papers that we've got. Alistair Campbell, great to get your thoughts. That's Alistair Campbell, former Downing Street Director of Communications, was a host of the Rest is Politics podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Really lovely to get Alistair's views on. Well, of course, we will be back with much more on Monday. We're going to have full coverage of the results from the Tory leadership uh, race. Uh, that's at 12.30, but we'll be starting at 6am. So I hope you'll join us on Bloomberg Radio live for that. Uh, and Alistair mentioned the bin strikes. Well, did you know when the Prime Minister arrives... They're going to be strikes across Whitehall. Yes, there's, there's going to be uh, strikes amongst cleaners. Yeah, cleaners. Uh, and they're going to have to bring our own bags in. So uh, a government clear out is going to be much, much more tricky. Yeah, the reception staff, the porterage <laughs> staff, the postal staff. I say this jokingly. I mean, we know that it's a serious issue. Why those people are striking. But yes, the, the image perhaps of the next prime minister carrying their own bags up the flight of stairs. Yes, another problem in the in-trade for Liz Trust. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.